Hey, I'm Howard Kettner, and I feel very fortunate to have spent 33 years building a business by collaborating with an amazing group of highly intelligent, introspective, and innovative individuals. I'm, of course, referring to my clients and their leadership teams. Paul Wheeler was one such client and leader. During one of our scheduled strategic update meetings, that's what you call a renewal, right? He said something like this to me. Here's the deal, Howard. We expect our caregivers to create extraordinary outcomes and experiences for our clients. So when it comes to the benefits plan, we need to be asking ourselves how we can demonstrate extraordinary support and care for our caregivers. That statement provided a vision for a complete revamping of the benefits plan and that resulted in the implementation of a suite of benefit plan product and process innovations that remain cutting edge to this day. What I learned about Paul is that statement of his was not just a clever phrase or articulation of a perspective. In his role as a leader, Paul was and remains very passionate about employees that are in the business of providing care to mentally and physically challenged individuals and other individuals with special needs. Paul now works with Canadian benefits advisors to create person-centered approaches to solving benefit plan challenges with insight and innovation. This podcast that you're about to listen to was recorded on the eve of Paul's 70th birthday. And as you'll learn for yourself, as you listen in, you'll see that just like the way Paul lives the rest of his life, he brings a youthful energy combined with the vision and passion of a seasoned veteran to this conversation. Stay tuned. Well, here we are, and I'm sitting here with Paul Wheeler, longtime friend, former executive director of a local caregiving society, the Semiamu House Society. And Paul, how many years has it been now that you've been working with employers and working with benefit advisors to help employers solve benefit-related problems? Well, I've been doing it one way or another for about uh, 16 years now, but I retired from my official job five years ago and been doing it very intensely since I retired. So I basically spend pretty well all my time meeting with partners, meeting with uh, executive directors of social service agencies, going to trade shows, all that kind of stuff. So I've been doing it really intensely for about five years. Wow. And so to our audience, throughout the podcast, you're going to hear Paul referring to partners. So Paul works for a very significant benefits consulting organization that refers to their advisors, the firms in the field that represent them as partners. And so Paul, you work closely with those partners. You work closely with community living agencies. And how many community living agencies are part of the programs now that you've put together over the last number of years? 
Honestly, I don't know exactly how many community living agencies. So we have 818 different kinds of community support organizations or community service organizations or social service organizations, 818. And I think about 25% of them are community living. Got it. And the others would be? We have daycare, criminal justice, women's services, uh, long-term care, daycares. You know, if you can think of a social service agency or a community service agency in Canada, a, a, a category, we've probably got at least one. <laughs> uh, but, you know, housing organizations, and just every kind of organization you could possibly think of. If it's providing support to people in the community, uh, we've probably got some representation in our 818 agencies. And that's exactly why I love talking with you, because you have this wonderful experience across a terrific spectrum. And I just love catching up and, and hearing what you're hearing. Uh, what, what are you seeing out there? Is What's working for employers uh, in those sectors? What's working for advisors? And equally, what's not working? If you want to think about employers, where you, for me, you really want to start off about what's not working is money. There's, mm. there's simply not enough money in the pot. They are not getting increases from their funders, especially government, but even from right. their other funders as well. They're not getting increases. And so they're trying to do more and more and more with less and less and less. And I know that's a common Canadian story, but it's even a bigger story in the social service area of our lives. Sure. And so, so money's a really big problem. And, and when people are doing more and more and more with less and less and less, that means stress is going up in all the kinds of things that negative stress can ultimately cause. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that is really working from my perspective as an example is when people have really good support from others. So as an example, if people have really good support in terms of a good benefits program, then their ability to handle stuff like stress is going to decrease and their employees' ability to handle those kind of things is going to decrease. So what's working is, you know, it's like I travel all over the country. I talk to different ones of our partners, brokers kind of people, but I also talk to lots of executive directors. And what's really working from the perspective of the people that want to listen to your podcast is when those brokers, those partners are really involved and really know their organizations and really are making sure they've got the benefit package they actually need for the kind of people that work there. You know, for so many years, what we've done is we've gone out and we've said, okay, there's this thing called a basic benefit package, and that's what we sell to an organization. And right. it's been kind of the same sort of package for, what, 50 years now? Very much. Yeah. Where I see things really working in this particular area is when somebody comes along and says, look, let's really figure out what is it you're trying to achieve who are your employees that are really trying to do that? And how can, what, what kind of support that those kind of people need in order to really have their morale where it needs to be, have their health where it needs to be so they're there at work, glad to be at work on a regular basis, all that kind of thing. And then they match that benefit package to that particular group of employees. For a group, a group that has a lot of young employees, as an example, the benefit package is probably really different than the group that's got a bunch of people that are older. Or, you know, 
the last place I worked, you know, we had lots of people for whom English is a new language, as an example. And, uh, you know, they're, they're much more comfortable in the, the language that they spoke in their home country, wherever that was. And, and uh, many of them are single moms. And that kind of, well, the benefit package that a single mom for whom English is a new language needs is probably really different than a 25-year-old person that works for my daughter doing bookkeeping. Right, you know, and so uh, the thing that really works is when you can get that that broker, that partner together with an employer, and they really take the time to analyze, really help them figure out what they need, and make sure that's what's provided. And then, uh, and this is the one that is working, and it is also not working. If if they then provide the education, it's not enough to just sell somebody a package. Somebody's got to come along and create the package, do the onboarding and all that kind of stuff. And then they have to have a regular series of education around what it is you've got in your, what, what are the arrows in your quiver? Uh, I talked to a guy just recently, actually, who said, you know, it's no good having a Ferrari if the Ferrari sits in your driveway with a, with a cover over it and you don't even know what color it is. It might as well be a Volkswagen. It's all, all it's going to do is sit in your driveway with a cover over it. But if you well know, put. yeah. And if, but if you know what's there and you know how to drive it and you know where the gears are, then maybe you can actually do some amazing things with a great Ferrari, right? Well, we tend to really help people build Ferrari kinds of benefit packages, and then we put it in their hands, and we never give them driving and then lessons. We're off. And then yeah, we're off. and we're gone. Well, so, and I want to roll it way back because. You know, you, you, you talk about the needs and, and how the stresses build at an employee level. And you said something that I'll just never forget, and I've used it in hosts of presentations to advisors subsequently. You said to me, we have very high expectations of the care that our caregivers deliver. This was when you were executive director at Semi Ammo House. But who gives care to the caregivers? And that's what you tasked me with as, as your benefits provider. Yeah. It's your job to give care to my caregivers. That's right. And uh, to meet those needs. And so we bring forward, like you say, we deliver the Ferrari and then we're off to deliver another Ferrari and deliver another Ferrari into another driveway with the cover over it. And so that education doesn't happen. And so are employers aware of that? I mean, what, what, what feedback are you hearing from employers? Do you know, it's another thing for me that's not working. It's, sadly, most employers just seem to accept it's the status quo. This is the way it is. When I say to somebody, how often does your, your broker come around? They'll tell me once a year at renewal time. And they don't tend to have any other expectations because that's what they've been enjoying for so many years. It's just the same sort of same old way it's always been. And when you talk to them about, you know, your, your partner would probably be really prepared to come out on a regular basis and do educational sessions with your employees, that kind of piece. They'd probably be glad. Just ask them. And they'd probably be glad to do that. But the employers never even thought of that. So I meet all kinds of employers where even the employer that bought it doesn't know what's in the benefit package. They don't know, as an example, that they've got a really good EFAP that could be tremendously beneficial to their employees. So if they don't know it, what's the likelihood that their employees know it? And what's the likelihood that when there's a problem, 
somebody's going to pull the card out and say to the employee, hey, give these guys a call. These guys are free. Nobody's ever going to know you called. The likelihood that that's going to happen is almost zero if nobody knows that it's there. And if you go to the partner and you say, you know, this employer doesn't even know they have a good EFEP program, the partner will say, oh, but I told them all about it in the onboarding process. And you say, when was the onboarding? Oh, it was five years ago. Well, nobody remembers anything somebody told them over three minutes five years ago. You know, and so what's really working is we've got really great products that can really meet people's needs. We nowadays have the ability to tailor the products to the true needs of the actual organization and the people in that organization. But if we don't educate everybody about it, we're wasting our time and we're wasting everybody's money because we're not we're not getting the bang for our buck that's actually available. It's a really interesting little vicious <laughs> circle, isn't it? So there's a meeting a year with the advisor at the renewal, and maybe it's even twice a year, but it, it's around a very specific agenda of a financial renewal. Here's your midterm claims experience, and then at the end of the year, here's your renewal. And so there's really not a great opportunity for an exchange on all of the other things, on the what's working and what's not working. And I was speaking with an advisor just within the last month, and we were talking about renewals, and the advisor said, I haven't called them renewals for a long time. Oh, that always gets my attention. So I'm thinking they're going to come up with something clever, like the forward-looking advisors are using as a reference, and that is we're calling it a review instead of just a renewal, which sounds kind of like a magazine subscription. But uh, this advisor surprised me and said, I'm, I'm referencing it as a strategic update. And the more I thought about that, the more that made sense. Because when we look at the environment, let's look at the environment for employers. It changes dramatically over the course of a year. Government funding comes and goes. There's donations. There's a decrease in donations, whatever the situation is. There's new HR issues. There's perhaps issues of unionization. There's uh, technology issues. Now we look at what has changed for employees. Well, there's a whole range of things. There's an aging workforce, for example. But depending on the geography, there's a whole range of other issues. Absolutely. Then we look at the insurance <clears throat> industry and what's changed. What's the impact of technology again? Is our technology running ahead and opening up the opportunity for more fraudulent claims? I can take a picture, I can set it in. How many claims are actually pulled for real adjudication? And again, a range of other issues. There's uh, new prescription drugs being developed. There's greater utilization by an aging population. We could go out on all the advisors know all of those issues. So we really need to sit down as advisors, we need to be sitting down with employers and doing a strategic update. The financial renewal from the insurance company is but one tiny piece of that. But what's changed in your business? Where is your business going? And how do we have to change things? Or are we just a railroad here and we're going to get towed to wherever the train is going? Is that where we want to be? If you're happy being on the railroad. And so I asked the advisor how he ends off this strategic update. And he said, we basically come away with the plan. Here is your future without action. And that's okay. But, but this is what it looks like. So let's all understand what it looks like without action. 
here's what the future can look like with action. And I thought, wow, that is marvelous. It is marvelous. It is really the way things should go. My only caution would be, when we go into those kind of meetings, any of us, so, so you know, I'm a partner, as an example, and I call up the agency and say, I'd like to come around and see you next Wednesday at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. The agency person that that partner's talking to is just simply saying, sure, I'll meet with you. And they don't have to do any prep because right. it's the partner's agenda. Right? right. So the partner is going to spend a whole pile of time figuring out their whole agenda to go in there because they want to get to someplace where they have this strategic plan right. ready to go. Right. So they've got this agenda. And my only caution would be that I would really urge them to remember the four pillars. Mm -hmm. And in particular, I really urge them to remember the first pillar is listen. Mm. You know, so yeah, you've got your agenda, and yeah, you want this to go someplace, but if it's an hour meeting, I would suggest the first 25 minutes of that hour meeting should be you listening to whoever it is, that you are raising some questions, like asking them just how things are going. Not just with their benefit plan, but with their organization, because everything is going to affect the benefit plan, and the kind of things that really affect it are things like how's the organization doing? How is their funding doing? Are they finding recruitment problems these days? How many employees do they have? If they've got 200 employees in an organization, they're in a constant recruitment mode these days. So how's that going? And then shut up and listen. And, it, you know, that first pillar is just so crucially important. Because then if they really, really listen to that stuff, then the plan that they come up with is actually going to be based on who the agency is. Not just on what the possibilities are to change their benefit program. Not, not just on, you know, here's where you are now, and if you don't change anything, here's where things are going to go. But if you change, if you tinker with some things, change some things, here's the other possible future. But that other possible future is going to be based on who they really are, because you've listened to them. And so that, that would be my only caution. Well, what you've really described is, is you've uh, given the definition for what it means to take a holistic view of things. And uh, these things escape us. So often the obvious escapes us as benefit advisors. I remember back in the day when I had 20 school district clients. One of them finally took me aside and said, Howard, this could be a lot better if you aligned the insurer's renewal with the ideal date in our fiscal year, that took us down a whole track of what the ideal date was because unwittingly I was coming in with the renewal and all the implications of that renewal, whether it was an increase or whether it was a decrease, after it was too late for them to after do anything. After they already wrong. finished their budget and you had it approved. It. Exactly. You see, you don't change that little thing based on their benefit plan. You change that thing based on who they are. And that's right. the key. That's the only reason why I think the, the, the pillar about listening is just such a big, huge kind of issue that we really need to spend more time doing. Frequently, you'll find that in, in training advisors, people have a set of questions that they want to ask. They want the advisor to ask some questions. Like they'll say, you should ask a question about what are your problems, needs, and frustrations. And when they ask that, it's very clear they're, they're meaning, what are your problems, needs, and frustrations about your benefit plan? Right. And that's, it's the wrong question. 
they don't live inside their benefit plan. The benefit plan is just a corner of their desk. That's all it is. Their problems, needs, and frustrations are about running their business. It's about everything to do with their business. And so our job needs to be, if this is where you are as a business, if, if these are the things that are really getting you excited about the daily life of your organization and the changes that organization is making in the community and in other people's lives, if that's what's really getting you jazzed, and if these things are the things that are really frustrating you, about doing that work, then what effect does that have back on your employees? And then what implications does that have for your benefit plan? The benefit plan should only be a solution to support the employees to do the work of the organization. But if you don't know the work of the organization, if you don't know where it's going, if you don't know the problems they're facing in terms of doing that work, then ultimately you can't design the benefit plan they really need. In the old days, you could just sell them the basic benefit plan. But nowadays, you can really fine-tune something that really answers their overall concerns. That's where I think we want to go. And the start of that is listening to who they are. It, it really is. You know, you just took me back a lot of years to a discussion that I was having with a uh, secretary-treasurer of uh, a school district, about 1,500 employees. And I said... So, what's happening? What's top of mind for you? And I'd gotten to know him fairly well, so he knew that I was meaning top of mind, not about the benefits plan. And he said, Howard, I had the strangest experience last evening. We had one of those run-on board meetings, like we can only have at a school district. It literally went till 12.30 midnight. He said, so I'm slugging my briefcase back to the office. I'm walking down the hall. And this was in the good old days when they still had the telephone answering machine on and you could hear the tape come on and then you could hear the voice and stuff. And he said, so it's about one o'clock in the morning and I'm hearing this call come through. And it's like, who's calling the school district at one in the morning? And he said, it was just, I have no idea why I stopped, but I stopped and poked my head into that office and listened. And he said it was a person who appeared to be perhaps somewhat inebriated, phoning in and saying, you know what, I've really come down with a brutal flu. This was a Thursday night. I'm not going to be in tomorrow. And I don't think I'm going to be well until probably Tuesday, so book me out for Monday as well. <laughs> so that really got his wheels turning. That was top of mind. So I always came to a meeting with an agenda back in the day. But as I recall, we set the agenda aside and talked this through a little bit. Because as we drilled down and went down the rabbit hole, he had also gotten a workers' compensation assessment that wasn't a good one and was going to cost them another quarter million dollars a year. And of course, people on disability use a disproportionate amount of physio and prescription drug services and so on. So he had a bit of a financial problem on his hand. Well, the upshot of it was we just talked about it in very practical terms. And would it be a good investment to get a qualified nurse to do some medical screening? 
and it would have to be on some sort of an outsourced contractor arrangement, employer privacy and all of that. But maybe she could respond to those phone calls and extend a helping hand on Friday morning to the person that had the flu and, and yeah. so on. Well, the result was he ended up finding a highly qualified person, got that person set up on a contract basis, uh, got an assistant for that person, and they tackled the problem head on. And two years later, it was a real good news story. They had uh, resolved the quarter million dollar assessment, gotten that resolved. Their absence uh, costs were down. They had done some uh, really miraculous things. Uh, a teacher checked out, had a uh, voice box related issue. It, it wasn't like cold or bronchitis or anything like that. It was, it was literally uh, some sort of a condition that was going to take six months to heal and she could not speak above a hoarse whisper. But speaking at a hoarse whisper wasn't going to hurt anything. So the typical skip would have been, she would have been off for six months during this process. And then who knows? Uh, we've all seen the situation. People get depressed sitting at home. They fall into new patterns. They start using more and more meds. The, the whole bit. So the solution was, a $500 portable PA system with a clip-on microphone. She was back in the classroom in a few days. Wow. And, and she wanted to be there. The kids wanted her there. The employer wanted her there. And so this little anecdote about the teacher was just one of many examples. They had somebody else that hadn't come into work, and so this nurse would get a list of people that hadn't shown up unexpectedly and, without, and, and would reach out by phone call. They found a person that had uh, a condition that caused them to dehydrate horribly, and they probably saved a life by getting the ambulance over and, uh, and dealing with it. The person was beyond being able to help themselves. So all of this happening, well, out of this, this was the cornerstone of what we know today as the Disability Management Institute. What's the website? Just a shout out for our audience. www.dmi.ca, I think. I think that's it. Yeah. That's it. And so uh, that started up and provides services coast to coast. And I know the advisors that you work with and, and employers that you work with rely on them every day now. Absolutely. But that all came out of, I just wanted to validate your point on really honestly asking the question, what's working, what's not working? Yeah. And then shutting up and listening. So the person could get time to really tell you. Instead of jumping in with a solution, you have to stop and really listen and let them analyze it. It's, you know, being a really good salesperson like this is actually like being a good therapist. Because that's what a good therapist does. A good therapist doesn't tell you what to do. That way. Well, it is. They don't tell you what to do. They don't tell you how to do it. What a good therapist does is ask good questions and then be quiet and allow you to explore, allow you to think about what would work for you and and occasionally put in a probing question they they don't tend to jump in with solutions you know at some point somebody says well you know as you talk about that situation i wonder if you had a nurse that would be calling that person the next day and saying okay let's talk about your flu like that that's a solution that comes out of a conversation where right. there's a lot of listening happening so yeah, it's uh, it's it's like it's like being a good therapist, uh, and you know, good therapists long term have really better results uh, if they do it that particular way. And same thing with good salespeople, I think. Uh, long term, good quality relationship type results happen out of that kind of.
approach. Absolutely. And I love what you said about the uh, drawing the comparison between uh, uh, a good salesperson and a therapist, helping folks find their own solutions, taking them down that path to something that is creates a great place for them to live with their benefits plan. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, now, it's now, you have a wonderful background in organizational planning. Anything else you'd add to that that you see that advisors could be doing to really help their clients around planning and creating a strategy around benefits, whether it's communication with employees, whether it's... You know, I, I talk to um, a number of, of the advisors that work with us across the country uh, on a fairly regular basis that are really making sure they're very up-to-date with what's out there. So they're not content to just know the basic product. They know, of course, the basic product, but they know all the nuances and they know all the other possibilities that aren't necessarily part of the program that they're currently using. You know, they maybe they've got a relationship with Manulife as an example, and Manulife has a set of product, if you will. But that advisor also knows what everybody else is doing and, and is probably thinking about possibilities that go beyond what everybody else is doing. And then is doing that essential strategic plan thing that you were talking about. They're coming along and asking the what if questions. So when they say to an employer, look at, you know, here's where you are now. And all things being equal, if you stay on that track, here's where you're going to be a year from now. But then what if we thought of these other things. I know one particular person in Ontario who really pushes the possibility of, uh, of an employer marrying up their, their um, extended health program, their drug program, with the Trillium program in, in, in Ontario. This person was sort of really pushing that idea before it started to become really popular so that, so that the Trillium program would be picking up more of the liability for for prescription drugs. So, you know, I, I think when you talk about community organization and, and all, community planning, all the thing that really makes a difference is people that come along and ask what if type questions. What if we thought about it differently? What about if we tried something different? You know, when you, when you raise that that issue about the nurse as an example. You know, I'm not sure that all of your listeners would know how big a deal that really was. I mean, the Disability Management Institute now makes an unbelievable difference in the lives of thousands and thousands of Canadians. And I know all kinds of employers who would say, even if my premiums go up, I won't leave where I am now because the Disability Management Institute is the best thing that ever happened to my organization. So you talking about what if we brought in a nurse ultimately results in something that's a really huge change in the organization of our benefits community, right? So I think partners who are really doing well with people are asking those what if kinds of questions. They're letting their imagination flow in. Instead of, instead of being locked into, here's what we've got, they're more freely flowing into, but what if what we've got isn't what we want? What if, what if we try something new? What about if we change things? And then they're going after it. They're trying to find ways to do it. Uh, and so they're, and they're tying that 
to who their client really is. So they learn, they know their client, they've learned about that, they're listening to that, and they're asking those what-if kinds of questions. I think from a very commercial point of view, I think that leads to enormous success because it's very easy as a salesperson, and I get locked into it, I've gotten locked into it regularly over my sales career. We get locked into looking at our product lineup and trying to pair that up like we did in grade school, like we match these things and we draw the lines from the right column to the left column and we get it all right. Well, there may not be an item over on the right column that matches up. And so what is it that we have to create? And I think that creates a, a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful business opportunity. And even if a business opportunity doesn't come out of it, the sheer collaboration with the client, as we look at the future through a different lens, we look at it together. And so many of the solutions that I see benefits advisors having profitable outcomes with are the result of the creation and collaboration with a client or a group of clients. I mean, on the property casualty side, they've set up offshore insurance companies and, and various trusts and so on in certain sectors. But all of that was driven by industry professionals sitting down with clients and acknowledging pillar number three, be vulnerable. We don't have a product for this. So what would a product look like if we were to build a product for this? What would that now look like? And what could come out of it? And can we at least begin to walk down the road of creating whatever it is that that comes up? You know, so frequently we simply say something like, well, it's not there. I, I guess we can't really do it. If, if it was possible, somebody would have already done it. And that's not true. There's all kinds of possibilities that somebody hasn't already done. I mean, I, you know, I know that you follow Elon Musk as an example. I mean, look at how many times he comes along and says, well, why can't we try something different? Why, why, why can't we have electric cars that actually work, that people want to drive? And everybody says, you can't start up a new car company in, in North America. The, the other guy's got the whole thing locked up. There's no way you could get in and start a new car. I've heard since I was in my 20s, and I'm 70 next week, I've heard since then you couldn't start up a new car company in, in North America. Look what happened with Britland as an example. You know? Right. But Elon Musk basically comes along and says, well, well, why not? Why don't we at least try? Why don't we walk down the road and see what happens? And, you know, it's that kind of, if you're prepared to listen, if you're vulnerable to your clients and basically admit to each other that really neither of you is where ultimately you want to be, and then you start pushing against doors, just trying something. Uh, you know what? Eventually doors open and good things can happen. So. Absolutely. And a couple of things. First of all, on the topic of collaboration, I love that whole topic. I don't believe there's any true creation of something of value without real collaboration. And I love how Elon Musk did that. I mean, he basically got 300,000 people to put a deposit down on a car that they had not even started to manufacture. One of my sons jumped in. I jumped in. Why did I jump in? I'm not sure I'm ready to buy a Tesla anytime in the near future, but I wanted to be part 
of an exciting vision. And in fact, he made no promises around the $1,000. He said, uh, you can send the $1,000, we'll give you your money back. If we have it, and kind of if we feel like it, I mean, it was a really loosely worded. And, and so basically, he had 300,000 venture capitalists give him money, little individuals that, that threw out a few dollars. So that was kind of interesting when you, when you think of the, of the money that that raised for, for his organization. But uh, now you opened a wide open, you're, you're coming up on your 70th birthday, and Paul, here you are enthusiastic, energized, excited about a bigger future. And I think that that's the real win in continuing to be curious about what's working and not working. I see that energy in you every day. Yeah, for me, it's about being curious and about knowing what your passion is, knowing what drives your passion. You know what? It's not enough to just do something. You need to know why you're doing it. What's, what's undergirding you? What, what drives you to work every day? And, and, if, and if there isn't something that's driving you to work every day, you probably need to change what it is you're doing because you're not passionate about it. And we need to be passionate. So we need to be curious and all that that implies. And we also need to be passionate and know where it comes from. Well, great note to do a wrap on. Yeah, Here's to curiosity and passion. I just encourage everyone to take a look at their life the way you have in the first podcast. We talked about your career changes and how you evolved as an individual and a professional. That's a whole mentorship all in itself. So to our audience, if you haven't had a chance to listen to it, just roll back benefitsgenius.ca backslash podcasts and look for the prior podcast with Paul Wheeler. Make it a terrific day. Thank, Thank you, Paul. Thank you so much. Have a great one. There you have it. 30 minutes chalk-filled with Paul's always thought-provoking practical perspectives and insights. You definitely don't want to let the learnings fade because you don't have a process to practice and integrate them into your life and business. So I asked one of our Benefit Genius team members to create a simple, basic little worksheet called What's Working, Not Working, and What I'm Going to Do About It. It's called something like that. The point is to get your free, no-obligation copy. Hey, everything here on the Benefits Genius podcast site is free and without obligation. All you need to do is go to benefitsgenius.ca backslash podcasts. Select podcast number 53 and click on the attachment or the link that we provide. I'm not just sure how our team will attach or link to it, but that worksheet will be there. Again, that's benefitsgenius.ca backslash podcasts and select podcast number 53. Just scroll down to the link or the attachment. I'm Howard Kettner signing off for now and saying that I hope that you're making it a terrific week or weekend as the case may be. Bye for now. Bye.